Before we begin this episode, we pay tribute to the work of Keith White. Keith started as a student at Halebury College in 1957, shortly after emigrating from England. Keith completed studies from Form 1 to Form 6 before heading to Monash University. Thereafter, he worked as a teacher at Halebury in the 60s and 70s. Keith commenced working with the Halebury Archives after hearing Pargatus speak in the Memorial Hall at Castlefield at the turn of the new millennium. In his work in the Archives, Keith brought about many important innovations, most notably an electronic database driven by FileMaker, which is named the Keith W. White Database in his honour. Keith began recording the From the Archives podcast in late 2018 and produced a total of 22 episodes. Keith is retired now on his property on the Mornington Peninsula and we thank him for his contribution to the archives and to this series. Greetings, old Haleberians, and welcome to this, the first episode of Season 2 of From the Archives. My name is Matthew Wooten, I'm the Chief Archivist at Halebury, and I'm joined today by Glenn Garden and Trevor Jones. We're recording this episode of From the Archives in the garden, outside of Alterra Terra at Keysborough. Today we will hear about the photo-digitisation work Glenn and Trevor are doing to preserve our collection. We will then hear Trevor's reminiscences of the dances held at Castlefield, and later in the program, we will enjoy a historical recording selected by Gordon Hawley that I know you'll enjoy. But first, we delve into the football lists as Glenn takes us through this major project he's newly completed with Head of Archives, Mr. Bill Waters. G'day, Glenn. How are you, Matthew? I'm terrific. I'm really pleased to be talking with you about the football lists. Now, to begin with, can you tell me how this project came about? Well, I think it came via the uh, old Haleburians. Uh, we'd had a, um, a previously successful um, project finding the cricket players, yes, uh, yes. numbering all the cricketers. And um, I think following on from that, it would be a good idea to have the, uh, the football numbers. Outstanding. And it was a huge undertaking. I know... Um, you ended up with a mighty number. How many names were ultimately included in the list? Okay, once we went through and eliminated all the duplications from different years, I think we got about 1,500. 1,500 names? Yes. And these, these are all, all boys? All boys. Uh, we haven't touched the, the girls' teams yet. And, uh, yeah, there was 1,500 who played at least one game. Some of them played over many years. Yes. But uh, all, anyone who played at least one game, we tried to include. Fantastic. And, and can you tell me, who, who participated in the research? Uh, Bill Waters led, led the research. Uh, he has a lot of background knowledge from the uh, early years particularly. Uh, I did mainly research work through the, the documents that we have. And David LePage helped us as well with uh, the 21st century players. Outstanding. And how was the research actually done? Uh, the, the yearbooks that we have from 1903 onwards were, were the main source. Um, we also have an electronic database which helped us, uh, a 100-year history to uh, verify some of the, uh, the, the uh, players. Um, and also, before 1903, there's, there are a few reminiscences by old Haleburians uh, that talked about who was in their football teams. 
You must have come across some, some interesting stories throughout all those 1,500 names. Can you tell us about any surprises that you found along the way? Well, I think what was most obvious was how the school struggled in the early years. Um, it was very hard for them to even uh, field a team sometimes. Right. Um, there were no wins <laughs> for many years on, on end. Um, however, it was surprising that, that there were some golden years very early uh, in the late 1890s that they even won a premiership and uh, also in the 1920s were quite good years and of course since getting into the APS um, Halebury has been a powerhouse. Any other anecdotes you came across? Um, I think the, the amount of sickness in the early days that uh, stopped them from f- f- uh, fielding full teams was noticeable and one year there were even poisoned legs with many, many players who uh, kept them out of playing. Hold on, poisoned legs, Glenn. What, what do you mean? <laughs> that was all we found. They had poisoned legs and so they found it hard to get a full team. It's, it's remarkable really how much we do know. We've got all the, the captains uh, there in the almanac um, and we, we were determined to try and get as many first names as we could. Uh, in the early days, they just mentioned the surname and it'll be something like Officer 1, Officer 2, 3, 4... <laughs> Um, but using our other sources, we tried to get as many of those first names as we possibly could. The thing that um, stands out most for us is that the names are going to be printed onto a, a souvenir jumper. Right, and, can you uh, tell us a bit about the jumper? Well, we hear that um, it's very popular with former players. They're going to have some sort of a function. These jumpers will be available and somehow they're going to get these 1,500 names on them. Outstanding. I'm sure there'll be lots of people searching through the list to find themselves. I've heard that. Outstanding. Well, look, thank you so much, Dr. Garden, for, for, for sharing your work with us. Can you tell us anything about what was the real highlight for you as a researcher while doing this work? Well, I think just the satisfaction of coming up with, uh, first of all, the teams for each year, then um, uh, uh, deleting the, the overlaps who played in different years, and then uh, having it so we can do a, an alphabetical list or a, um, a, a um, chronological list. So it's just the satisfaction of finishing the job. Outstanding. And a really important research tool for, for the future of Halebury football as well. Hopefully, yes. Right. yes. Thank you so much, Glenn. Wonderful to hear from Glenn about that important work with Mr Bill Waters. We now shift our focus to the photo digitisation project led by archives volunteer Trevor Jones and staffer Glenn Garden. How are you both today? Very well, thank you, Matthew. Good to be here. Good, Matt. Fantastic. And Trevor, this is a huge project um, that that we've embarked on. How did this project come about? I think the pain of knowing that black and white and colour photos have a finite lifetime has spurred the team at Harlebury Heritage and Archives to preserve the entire collection held from 1892 until the present day. To facilitate this, four Fujitsu scanning machines were acquired and the process of digitisation was commenced in February 2021. Thank you, Trevor. Uh, Glenn, what can you tell us about what is held in the school's photo collection? There are some formal and uh, documented collections, some of them from professionals, uh, 
but uh, also there's just masses and masses of black and white prints, colour prints and also um, quite a few negatives. Um, but when you get to a certain period, like in the 2000s, uh, it's mainly discs. So I think we're only going to be concentrating on, say, about 2005 and earlier than that. Of course, of course. Trevor, did you find anything else uh, in the collection that stands out to you? Harlebridge pictorial history is truly remarkable. Uh, from the traditional class photos, sports team photos, house photos, boarding house photos, to the modern musical, music and drama performances with active sports shots included. Also, it is certainly a collection worth preserving. Trevor, what can you tell us about what these photos might be used for in the future? Um, Matthew, the benefits of digitisation will mean that rapid displays can be collated for peer group reunions, sporting anniversaries and the like. In addition, responses to old Hardiburian's request request is facilitated as well as requests from internal school departments such as publications and marketing. Of course and um, uh, a little question for both of you. Uh, I'll start with you Glenn. Uh, what interesting finds have you made during this work? Well <clears throat> Trevor's going to uh, outline some of these finds in more detail but one of the things he noted was uh, a picture of Robert Pargetta dressed in a Santa outfit which uh, is um, gives a, a nice different side of the principal uh, and then we have come across other photos from uh, Robert Pargetta that sort of been hidden in the collections and uh, they're, they're going to be very useful for Bill Waters as he chooses um, pictorial matter for the uh, book that is forthcoming on uh, Robert Pargetta's period of principal. Um, believe it's going to be called On Spreading Wings. So hopefully we'll be getting some materials that previously been hidden but will uh, go well in the book. Outstanding. Something to look out for around Founders Day party time uh, in 2022. <laughs> um, uh, Trevor, did you have any interesting finds that you'd like to share? Look, um, right, I think Robert Parget is, um, uh the finds we found relating to him were the, um, the richness of the um, collection but there's also other things like uh, school camps to Central Australia, the high country, the snow fields and the traditional Grandparents Day. Harleby prides itself on providing such a broad, broad range of activities for its students. Outstanding. Look, I just want to say thank you to both of you on your fantastic work on the photo digitisation yes. and it's, it's a really important undertaking for our department. That's a pleasure, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Thank you. And that leads us into a historical recording which has been selected by Gordon Hawley uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Thank you. In November 1998, a function was held in the National Gallery of Victoria to farewell retiring principal Michael Aikman. The guest of honour that night was the distinguished Major General Sir Harrison Clive. He is introduced by Halebury's Head of Drama, Stuart Bell. Now, much significance, much of significance has happened at Halebury since Michael Aikman's principalship began in 1974. An undoubted highlight was, in our centenary year of 1992, a memorable dinner in this very hall. The guest speaker was Major General Sir Harrison Clive, a most distinguished old boy of our British counterpart, Halebury and Imperial Service College of Hartford, a past president of the old Haleburians, a life governor of the school, and now chairman of its council. 
General Clive is with us again on this equally historic occasion. I was privileged enough to meet him on a trip over there in 1995. Now, he's come all this way to pay his respects to our retiring principal. Please give a warm Halebury welcome to Major General Sir Harrison Clive. At ease. I did not say stand easy. There seems to be a lack of steadiness in this assembly. Well, I have to tell you, it's rather irregular to be introduced by a teacher actually designated the head of drama. I should have thought, in a sense, every teacher was a head of drama. Nevertheless, my lords, if any, by all reports, they're a dying breed. Mr. Chairman, Principal, other ranks, ladies and gentlemen, what an extraordinarily high honour and an extremely profound privilege it is to have me address you. Again, as if once were not enough. And it certainly was for me. Later this evening, you shall drink a toast, those of you who are able, to Sir Michael Aikman, your principal of 25 years. It's worth reflecting briefly upon the significance of 1974. In Bathurst, the local jail was burnt to the ground in that year by ten prisoners, only four of whom were old Haleburians. In California, heiress Patty Hearst was kidnapped by revolutionaries, exposing the perils of co-education. In London, an IRA bomb damaged the Palace of Westminster, injuring 11 very important people, none of whom was an old Haleburian, or at least not one of yours. Cyclone Tracy demolished Darwin and President Richard Nixon resigned. Had he been an old Haleburian, he would surely have stuck it up. What was needed most urgently in 1974 were builders. Builders of bridges, of understanding, of families. Rebuilders of social fabrics, personal trust, and institutional loyalties. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. Sir Michael Aikman was a product of Geelong College. Well, even the most surprisingly distinguished of us have to start somewhere. He was good at sport, but he was even better at Gilbert and Sullivan as a ten-year-old soprano. In that respect, he really should have gone to Melbourne Grammar. He rode for his college, his university, his state, and his country, never once looking around to see where he was going. <laughs> he joined the university regiment for the same reason. He 
fell in at Campbell High to teach physics and enlisted at Scotch College for no apparent reason. He moved to Trinity Grammar in Sydney because its military band wore red coats and pith helmets. They sounded appalling but looked magnificent. The Scots school Bathurst also sounded appalling and to him looked even worse. But by the time Sir Michael's term there was complete, he presided over an empire on which the concrete had never set. And so it has been at Halebury, the building of Newlands and Berwick, and for the senior school, the Great Hall, the chapel, the pool, and other facilities too numerous to mention. Every grain of every course of every piece of brickwork and mortar personally inspected by the fanatical man in the mortar himself. And when you add them all up, the uncertain 70s, the golden 80s, and the challenging 90s, what grand total do you reach? A builder of buildings, to be sure. But more than that, a builder of spirit, a builder of soul, a builder of young men, those who have a firm handshake and look you in the eye. And as you all join the last of the singing headmasters, or is it the first of the singing head guides on European cultural tours for seniors, <laughs> with a verse or two of For He Is a Haley Man, you can reflect on the words of Sir Winston Churchill, a man from the right country, but the wrong school. Headmasters have powers at their disposal with which prime ministers have never yet been invented. If God forbid an old Haleburian who left school between 1974 and 1998 should ever descend to the office of prime minister, he'll be able to look back and up and say, I have to tell you, I was at Halebury in the Aikman era. If I had that man's powers today, I should be able to run the country as he once ran the school. There's a military academy, an institute of sport, a temple for the arts, and a college of advanced civil engineering. In the words of Sir Henry Wotton, in architecture, as in all other operative arts, the end must direct the operation. The end is to build well. Well building hath three conditions, commodity, firmness, and delight. Well done, Michael. Three prescriptions. Dismiss, stand easy, and have a great night. From me too. Thank you. I uh, have an appointment down the road shortly. I have to be a federal public servant <laughs> at another farewell gathering uh, for some other, another distinguished person uh, from this city. I very, very rarely would play two characters in an evening, but I'm 
only too delighted to make an exception this evening for a special person for Halebury and the McCombs family's connection with Halebury goes back to one of the first students, Jack. So it's a great pleasure to be amongst you tonight. Do all have a great night and Michael, all the very best. Campbell McComas. In his lifetime, Campbell McComas was a celebrated comedian, writer and actor. He passed away sadly at the age of 53 years in 2005. Stuart Bell, who introduced him, still serves at Halebury and has done so for 39 years now. Thank you again so much to Gordon for this wonderful segment. I'm joined now by Archives volunteer Trevor Jones, who's going to share his reminiscences, which he penned in 2020, about the Halebury dance classes, which were held in the 50s and 60s. Take it away, Trevor. Thank you, Matthew. Good to be here today. Um, the name Dorothy Gladstone is synonymous with dancing classes held in the Memorial Hall on Saturday evenings from April to August in the 1950s and 1960s. Boys in Forms 3 and 4 were joined by a similar cohort of girls from St Leonard's College. Dorothy would always be dressed in full evening dress, holding a tambourine to emphasise the rhythm. A pianist would play from the platform. The most popular dance taught was the progressive barn dance, as many partners were met, but for short stints. I must admit the evening three-step was my favourite routine, followed by the Pride of Erin and the Palmer Waltz. Freestyle dancers like the Foxtrot and Modern Waltz caught me with two left feet. Another favourite was the progressive jive, as close as you could get to the rock and roll, which I don't think Dorothy would have approved. More complicated dance styles, such as the Charmaine and Quickstep, were introduced towards the end of the season. The Charleston, originating in the 1920s era, was most popular with the girls. I found the steps difficult to master initially, but thrilling when perfected. David Bradshaw, headmaster, in his 1962 speech night report, commented that because of the increasing number of applications from beginners, it was necessary to form a late afternoon class. The total number of boys and girls attending the classes was 357. The Senior School Mothers Association generally arranged a break-up dance in August with supper, supper being provided. In 1960, proceeds went to the Organ Fund. In the 1963 Winged Heart magazine, it was stated that the association once again organised and met the cost of the prefects and cadet dancers. These dances were auspicious formal occasions attended by senior students and important guests. Halebury leaders chose well to incorporate dancing into extracurricular activities. Wow, thank you very much Trevor for sharing with us your reminiscences of the dances. They must have been a very special occasion, fondly remembered. They were and it took me 
uh, you know, from 1962 until last year, really, to bring those items to the surface. Mm. Now, just a little uh, sideline to that, and, and Keith White was interested in this, Matthew. Um, I mentioned um, that the partner I took to the uh, dance, uh, a person by the name of Jeanette Marischal, and Keith was very intrigued with the name, of course. She was my next-door neighbour and right. went to St Leonard's College, and um, uh, she was my partner for that night, yes. and I did last year provide a, a black-and-white photo of myself with her and uh, some other colleagues there. So, uh, happy memories. Absolutely. Happy memories. Absolutely. Thank you, Trevor, <laughs> and thanks for, for sharing those important Halebury no memories. No problem at all, Matthew. A hearty thanks to all the contributors to this episode. We hope you've enjoyed the program. Our musical interludes, which old Haliburians may recognise, were recorded by Kim Baston on the Schimmel Grand in the Bradshaw Chapel. That's it for this program, and we hope you join us again next time. Bye for now.